0: Wall Street gives Governor Pritzker a second dose of good news. For the second time in a year, Moody's has upgraded its rating on Illinois debt. And I'll talk with Crane's contributor Graham Meyer, who writes the weekly big ticket column about upcoming can't miss arts and culture events.
1: The one that most interests me in this group is Of Mice and Men, which is a brand new ballet. The Joffrey has had a uh, Commitment to new story ballets recently. Before the pandemic, they did uh, Jane Eyre and also uh, Anna Karenina. I loved Anna Karenina.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, April 25th. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by Crane's contributor, Graham Meyer, who writes the weekly Big Ticket column, here to talk about some upcoming arts and culture events. Welcome back, Graham.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
0: So again, lots of things ahead, lots of things to do. Let's start by taking a look at uh, some stuff happening at Steppenwolf.
1: Steppenwolf has two shows that are opening on the same day, which is April 28th. One of them is opening their new in-the-round theater, which is called the Ensemble Theater, on their new campus. And that show is Seagull, which is an adaptation, a new adaptation of Chekhov's play The Seagull. And Fittingly for the opening of the Ensemble Theater, they've got a lot of their ensemble members in that show, including Jeff Perry, who's one of the co-founders of the company. Uh, and then the second show is The Old Man in the Pool, and that is a one-man show by Mike berbiglio who's a comedian and storyteller. Uh, you might recognize him from some stand-up things that he's done. Um, he's done specials on Netflix and he's appeared on This American Life. Uh, the first thing I remember hearing from him was a story about his sleepwalking, which is really funny. But uh, it is sort of also a little bit unsettling because you realize like this is a serious thing that happened to him. The way he tells the story, it's not just jokes, you know, if there's a memoir quality to it. And that's what they're promising for this show that he's doing at Steppenwolf also.
0: That's ambitious to open two shows on the same day.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, they have their press openings on different days, so they are not going to have quite the flood of uh, press people. And we don't have to pick which one we want to go to on the first day. It's so sort of convenient. But, uh, you know, they're in full, uh, in full swing there. All three of their spaces, all operating stuff now.
0: Hopefully the following day, there's probably some people in administration that take a deep breath after both of those shows are <laughs> up successfully for sure. All right. And then let's go to the Art Institute for the uh, Cezanne exhibit.
1: Sure, their their big blockbuster exhibit for over the summer, opening on May 15th is titled Cézanne, it's about Paul Cézanne, the uh, French painter. Uh, He's a bridge between the Impressionist eras and some of the more modern styles that came in in the 20th century, like Cubism and Expressionism. And this exhibit is enormous. They put it together with the Tate Modern uh, in England And uh, it has 90 paintings in it and 40 watercolors and other materials to uh, prop up all of the uh, scholarship and discussion of the career of Cezanne. And it looks like it is going to be the big fine art thing of the summer.
0: 90 paintings and 40 watercolors. That's a lot.
1: Yeah, it will take a long time to go through that exhibit. I mean, I think about some of the really big exhibits they've had recently, like the Gauguin exhibit. Um, And, you know, I spent easily an hour, uh, hour and a half. uh, And I was doing it fast. And it was not quite as big as this.
0: That's sort of a block off a day (laughs) sort of a thing to get through that.
1: Certainly. I mean, you could easily, you could spend a whole day, any day of the year in the Art Institute. You go all around. Um, But this, yeah, this exhibit's worth spending some time on.
0: Definitely. All right. And then talk to me about what's happening at the MCA.
1: Sure. Um, their big exhibit, which is opening almost the exact same time, it's uh, May 14th, it opens at the MCA, uh, is Nick Cave for more. Nick Cave is an artist who lives in Chicago. He is getting a full career retrospective here. Uh, he's um, in his 60s, I believe. So he's still got years ahead of him um, to create more things. He is probably best known for a series uh, of works called Sound Suits. And they're sort of half sculpture, half fashion. They're wearable art um, that uh, are amazingly colored and flashy and with in- interesting materials. And you, you can hear them when they're worn too. If somebody's wearing it and they walk around, they, they jingle or rustle and make interesting sounds. And part of the idea of them Um, is that they totally obscure the person who's wearing it so that the person who's looking at the person wearing it will have to consider that person without any of the uh, visual, physical appearance biases of race or gender or class or anything else that might occur to them looking at somebody. Uh, And he's got a whole series of these from throughout his career. He did the first ones uh, right after the Rodney King uh, incident. Uh, So that's where the the race thing came into that. And he's been doing them for many years. And he's got uh, a new one at the exhibit and several others will be on display. Uh, and there's also a, uh, an installation that I thought sounded really cool, which is made for the space site specific at the MCA called Spinner Forest that has thousands of spinners in the uh, atrium of the museum and on the fourth floor lobby.
0: Wow, that's so creative. There's so much going on there with, with his work
1: yeah I think it should be a really great exhibit he 's a really interesting artist, and probably people have heard his name around town because he's um, you know he 's been around for a long time here in Chicago, and it should be great to see a lot of his stuff all in one place i 'm also interested in the uh, a fashion aspect of his career there's been uh, in a lot of the museums in Chicago lately there's been a lot more attention to fashion as a fine art that uh, belongs in museums you know the MCA had the Virgil Abloh exhibit um, not too long ago and uh, the History Museum has um, a great collection of old clothes as well that they have been bringing out uh, They you know, tens of thousands of pieces in storage and uh, they also just put on a new fashion exhibit
0: yeah. And, and say the dates again, May through October.
1: May 14th. Yeah. Closes October 2nd is the plan as of now.
0: Okay. So people have, have a little time to get in there and do that, but don't put it off. I feel like that's what we all do, right? We go, oh, I got lots of time. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, I got a week. I got to go in there. And it's yeah. super crowded because everybody had the same idea. Definitely. All right. So then we go to the Joffrey. Mm-hmm.
1: The Joffrey's next performances are a uh, uh, double bill. Serenade is one half. The other half is Of Mice and Men. It runs April 27th to May 8th. Uh, That'll be at the Lyric Opera House. The one that most interests me in this group is Of Mice and Men, which is a brand new ballet. The Joffrey has had a commitment to new story ballets recently. Before the pandemic, they did uh, Jane Eyre and also uh, Anna Karenina. I loved Anna Karenina. I don't want to say I didn't love Jane Eyre. I like Jane Eyre, but I loved Anna Karenina. And the Steinbeck novella of Mice and Men is the source for the next one. It's going to be the same choreographer that did their Jane Eyre, Kathy Marston. And it's got an original score by the film composer Thomas Newman, um, who's done the Shawshank Redemption and Finding Nemo and Finding Dory and a bunch of other long career as a film composer.
0: And you've noted that he's getting into a Susan Lucci situation. (laughs) What's going on there?
1: Uh, If if I count it right from his IMDb profile, he's been nominated 15 times for Oscars, but he still hasn't won one. So, you know, hopefully he'll get the, uh, you know, the career Oscar at some point.
0: He's overdue, it sounds like. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So that's April 27th through May 8th, much smaller window there.
1: Yes. And the other half of the double bill is um, a historically significant dance that the Joffrey's never danced before called Serenade. It's a George Balanchine ballet that's set to Tchaikovsky's Serenade for Strings. Uh, and it's an interesting concept. He, when he did the choreography, he incorporated some things that happened accidentally during the rehearsal process, like a fall or a dancer who came late to the rehearsal. And they, that appears in the finished dance.
0: Oh, interesting. That's a creative approach.
1: Yeah, it sounds really cool. I have not seen it before. um, And uh, I'm excited to uh, find out how those accidental things come off, whether they seem like accidents when they're done or if they're sort of that you wouldn't know. That's an interesting
0: concept to me. That speaks to a certain level of openness during the rehearsal process.
1: Yeah, it's a very modern kind of concept. um, And he was an early adopter with that. This, This dance comes from 1934, if I'm not mistaken, and something that you would associate more with a modern improvisation sort of approach.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, and then lastly, Third Coast Percussion happening at DePaul on May 12th.
1: Yes, Third Coast Percussion is a great new music group or one of my favorite new music groups in Chicago. They're a percussion quartet, So they have four percussionists and uh, they play all sorts of percussion. There's no one in particular who specializes in one thing at different times. And they're all uh, different sorts of instrumentation in their music, all kinds of different things. Um, And they're also great collaborators. So they've done uh, several albums where they work with other musicians from um, disparate genres and uh, they've been very successful with those and they've gotten four Grammy nominations and they've won one. Um, And their newest album is coming out right around the same time. And it's titled Perspectives, the concert and the album have the same title. And the album has music from Philip Glass And from the film composer Danny Elfman, uh, who I bet a lot of people know from his Tim Burton movie scores. And a local uh, electronic music artist uh, named Jalen. And they'll be doing uh, music by all three of those composers in this concert, as well as selections from uh, some of their previous albums.
0: I think when we think of percussion, we just think of drums. But there's so much going on there.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's not all uh, unpitched either. Like there's a lot of percussion instruments that are pitched. And so um, when you have a percussion quartet, you often still have melody coming through from, you know, marimbas or xylophones or bells or things like that. There's just such a wide variety of things. And then there's also uh, percussion instruments that you don't even think of as instruments. I went to a... uh, Third Coast percussion performance that they did at Make Music Chicago when uh, my oldest daughter was three or four years old. And they did a John Cage piece that was all full of different unusual things metal bowls and ratchets and things like that and she was so fascinated and we came up to their table of instruments afterward and talked to them and um, she was just like what's this what's this and they're like yeah that's a disc break and it's <laughs> a shock that we got from a junkyard and yeah, it was amazing and they were like you're gonna have a percussionist on your hands soon
0: definitely a lot of a lot of curiosity about the music there how interesting all right well thanks so much graham always a pleasure talking with you about things coming up that we cannot miss
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, why United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby said a pilot shortage is in the carrier's advantage. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Chicago Business is pleased to welcome U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg on Thursday, May 12th, for a special event discussing infrastructure insights. Political columnist Greg Hines will sit down with Secretary Buttigieg to discuss the impact of last fall's historic infrastructure bill and potential for projects throughout Chicago. Tickets are selling quickly, so be sure to reserve your seats now. Registration is open at chicagobusiness.com slash crane's events.
2: You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth.
0: For the second time in a year, Moody's Investor Service has upgraded its take on Illinois debt, moving its grade up one notch to BAA1 from BAA2. In a statement, the agency cited rapid revenue growth over the past year and noted that the state is also increasing pension contributions, indicating increased commitment to paying its single largest long-term liability. But Moody's also noted that despite recent improvement, obstacles remain, noting that long-term debt constrains the state's financial. Financial flexibility and contributes to a weak financial position compared to other states despite the recent improvement in fund balance. The agency also said the Illinois economy has for the past decade expanded at a slower pace than most states and will likely continue. Crane's political columnist Greg Hines noted that Illinois debt has been on the edge of junk bond status since last June when Moody's moved the state from BAA3 to BAA2. Hines also described Governor Pritzker taking a figurative victory lap on the matter, saying in a statement, quote, Illinois was in a deep hole in the years before I was sworn into the governorship. And together with the General Assembly, step by step, we are putting Illinois on firm fiscal footing. His statement continued, quote, this credit upgrade means Illinois will likely pay a lower interest rate, saving taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars in the coming years. Heinz also noted that Republicans have attributed much of the turnaround to increased federal aid and called for permanent tax cuts, not the $1.83 billion in mostly short-term measures that Pritzker recently enacted. Customers of NICOR gas and People's Gas will pay more for natural gas next month than they have in well over a decade. Crane's Steve Daniels reported that NICOR customers will pay $1.11 per therm in May, according to an Illinois Commerce Commission
2: filing. Area residents recovering from a winter of extremely high heating bills uh, will not get much relief in May. Record natural gas prices that are being charged by People's Gas and NICOR gas will be included in the May bills. May is typically a warmer month, obviously, than uh, March or February, but nonetheless, gas consumption still is higher than in the summer months, and the average bill in Chicago for a residential customer is going to be well over $100, unless uh, May is extraordinarily warm. This comes as natural gas prices have risen, creating stresses on utility customers, both electricity and natural gas, uh, in terms of affordability. And uh, we don't really see much of an end in sight. The conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine has put a lot of pressure on natural gas prices. And if we look out into the future months in terms of the market, futures markets, we see very little relief for the next year or so.
0: Chicagoans who get their gas from Peoples will pay a little over 99 cents per therm. That's nearly double the 52 cents they paid in May of 2021 and over five times the 18 cents they paid in May of 2020. American and United Airlines both said some Boeing aircraft won't arrive until 2023 or even 2024, amid lingering uncertainty over when the plane maker will be allowed to resume deliveries of its 787 Dreamliner. Bloomberg reported that the issue has already prompted American to reduce, delay or suspend some planned international routes, a setback for the carrier as global travel is starting to recover from the impacts of the pandemic. American said on a conference call to discuss earnings on Thursday that the delays are also contributing to higher unit costs by limiting flying capacity and by idling pilots trained to operate the aircraft. As Bloomberg noted in reporting, Boeing has been struggling with structural glitches that have turned its popular wide-body jet into a cash drain and prompted the FAA to increase inspections of each plane before delivery. Boeing, which suspended Dreamliner deliveries in May of 2021 to address the defects, can't resume with the plane until the FAA completes the necessary reviews. American now expects to get seven 787-8 Dreamliners toward the end of this year, which is too late to be used during the busy and lucrative summer travel season. Three more won't show up until 2023, joining a trio that was already delayed until that year. Four 787-9 variants of the aircraft American thought it would get in 2023 have now also been moved back to 2024. The airline, however, said Boeing has committed to covering financial damages from the delays. At Chicago-based United, two 787s and seven of Boeing's 737 MAX aircraft moved into 2023 due to supply chain and manufacturing challenges, Finance Chief Gary Laterman said on a call with analysts. The airline expects to receive six other 787s and 46 MAX jets this year. It's also working with Boeing, the FAA, and Raytheon Technology Corporation's Pratt & Whitney division to finish modifications to 52 Boeing 777-200 planes that were grounded after an engine broke apart in early 2021, leaving Denver. That fleet, which represents about 10 percent of United's capacity, will return to service over the next nine months, executives said on Thursday. United CEO Scott Kirby said a pilot shortage is an advantage because it keeps smaller, low-cost competitors in check. And high fuel prices are offset by even higher pent-up demand for travel that's allowed United to raise fares faster than costs. Cranes John Pletz reported that the airline industry appears set to finally start emerging from the impacts of the pandemic that crushed travel demand, revenue, and profits for two years. But the pilot shortage is a longer-term issue. Plutz reported that Kirby told analysts that the industry produces between 5,000 and 7,000 pilots a year, noting that this year, the industry's intent is to hire 13,000 pilots. Kirby reportedly said on the call that he didn't think the industry would see that many new pilots any time in the next five or six years, and said, quote, if it's 5,000, United is going to hire half of them. It's an underappreciated factor and not quick to fix.